Thank you. Isn't that a beautiful language? When you get to heaven, come to the Kiswahili corner where the Kenyans will be gathered. <laughs> well, let me say it's wonderful to be back here again because maybe some of you can remember when I first ever came to College Church about 15 years ago. It wasn't in this building, it was in the older building, and I can still remember College Church because it's the only church I have ever been, and I've been to a number of places around the world, the only church I have ever visited where if you took too long with your message, the pulpit receded into the ground, (laughs) and you ended up preaching on your knees. Well, it's lovely to be back. Let me just uh, mention before I turn to the word of the Lord that um, I am a graduate of NEXT, and I was in the third class ever admitted into uh, the college, and when I was there, I was a student on scholarship because I didn't have the funds to be able to pay the fees on my own. My parents, um, even though they were wealthy, my father was a businessman, they felt that my decision to leave the career that I'd been training for and to go into pastoral ministry was a waste of my life. And so they told me, if you take that path, then you're on your own. And I took the path and went to college. I didn't have any money. I had to work um, as a photographer, weddings and funerals, to try and subsidize my keep in the college. But by God's grace, you know, somebody kind and gracious came along and uh, offered me a scholarship while a student there. And uh, you have been doing this. And I want to say to you that um, I believe that scholarships for the development of men and women who will serve the kingdom of God is about the most strategic, best investment you could ever make for the kingdom. And the reason is because you put in three years' worth of support, and it gives back to the kingdom of Jesus Christ 50 years' worth of ministry and it is a very strategic investment. And so thank you for your generosity and kindness as a people, as you have supported the students there. I would have been a recipient of uh, a scholarship like you have given others, and I pray that my 50-year return to the kingdom of the Lord would be a profitable return for the lives of men and women who have not yet come to know Christ as Lord and Savior. So thank you. And then let me just say, before I sort of delve into the business of the day, I am a married man, and I want to introduce my family to you because I am the father of some beautiful African queens. There you go. Wow. Wow. I... I'm the father of four girls. My eldest is now married, and the young man in the picture, and uh, the girl next to her in the middle there, um, that's husband and wife. They got married two years ago, and they are just about to go as missionaries to another African nation to plant a church. And uh, so these are my, my lovely kids. And I just wanted to also say to any young man here, you know, talk to me afterwards. <laughs> no. We can talk, we can talk. <laughs> we, we give cows, and I wouldn't mind some American cows. <laughs> yeah. Well, let's, let's turn to the matters that concern us this morning. This is uh, the second of your three-week focus on world missions, and uh, as you focus on the theme of reach and the hope of Christ, 
Um, I want to bring some words to you from the Lord. And I want to begin by asking you a question. This is a question. Are the things that you are living for worth Christ's dying for? What an incredible question to ask. Who can ever know whether the things they're living for are worth Christ dying for? Why did Christ die? Well, Paul answers that question for us in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 14 when he says that we are compelled that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. Now we might ask the question, not live for myself? We hardly know anyone who doesn't live for themselves today because we live in a selfish, self-centered generation and this has become a normal, staple feature of even our Christian faith. When I go to the bookstore to buy a book, I want to buy a book that tells me how Christ will bless my marriage and my career and my goals for life and how he will iron out the kinks in my life, how he will do this for me and do that for me. And my dear friends, God can do all these things because he wants to intensely bless you. But the purpose of Jesus' dying does not revolve around me. Sometimes we act as though I am the center of the universe, as though everything, including God, revolves around me. Well, my dear brothers, I have news for you. God doesn't want to be involved in your plans for your life. He wants you to be involved in his plans for your life. Christ died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves but for him who died for them. In John chapter, 20, chapter 12 and verse 24, Jesus spoke to the disciples and he said to them, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains by itself but if it dies, it bears much fruit. Can you imagine if that grain in the, in the farmer's hand was to, uh, about to be put to the ground and he cried out and he said, leave me alone. I don't want to die. Leave me alone. It would never bear fruit. And this lesson comes home again and again and again in the word of God. In the very next verse, verse 25, Jesus went on to tell his disciples, the man who loves his life will lose it. It will count for nothing. While the man who hates his life is willing to give it away, in this world will keep it for eternal life. Whoever serves me must follow me, and where I am, my servant also will be. My father will honor the one who serves me. 
It is God who says. It is the one who lays down his life, the one who picks up his cross that I will disclose myself to. My dear friends, only in dying to self can we live. When the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, verse 7 through to verse 9 said, Whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. And what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Paul knew what he was talking about. Because he had been that seed that had been put to the ground, that had been broken open, that could now shoot and could bear fruit for the Lord Jesus Christ. It has been said that no great advances have been made for Christianity by men and women who were unwilling to give up their lives. Let me say that again. No great advances have been made for the kingdom of God, have been made for the cause of Christ, have been made for the extension of the Christian church by men and women who are unwilling to give up their lives, unwilling to give up our lives. We can hardly give up a TV show that we know is not honoring to the Lord. Give up my life. Why is it this way? I believe it is because we have never settled in our hearts that I do not live for myself anymore. One died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all so that those who live should no longer live for themselves. So that those who live should no longer live for their plans, so that those who live should no longer live for their comforts, so that those who live should no longer live for their careers, so that those who live should no longer live for their security, but that they should live for him who died for them. One of the reasons why we can't live for him today is because we are committed to live the safe and the secure life. And when my passion is to live safe and secure, then I will not risk anything. I will not risk my time. I will not risk my comforts. I will not risk my career. I will not risk my wealth. I will not risk my retirement. I will not risk my treasures for the things that move the heart of God. But you know, someone else has said, it is possible to evade a multitude of sorrows by cultivating an insignificant life. Listen to what Gary Hagan of the International Justice Mission says. Here's a choice that our Father wants us to understand as Christians. And I believe that this is the choice of our age. Do you want to be brave or safe? Because you cannot be both. 
Doing God's will in a fallen world is inherently dangerous. In fact, if following Jesus doesn't feel dangerous to you right now, you should probably pause and check to see if it's actually Jesus you're following. It's been said a different way. If you haven't met the devil recently, you're probably walking in the same direction. Can you imagine if Jesus, ready to come down to earth, to obey his Father, to redeem mankind, had said to the Father in heaven, Father, I'm ready to go, but can I ask one question before I go? And the Father tells him, yes, my son, you can ask. And Jesus asks, is it safe? And his father would have had to say, no, my son, it is not safe. Immediately you are born, there will be men coming to kill you. And when they don't find you, hundreds of children will be killed as they try and somehow get rid of you. And you will have to run away to Africa as a refugee. And when you come back, there will be a whole institution that has been established for the purpose of putting you down. And they will try and throw you off a cliff. And they will try and stone you. And they will spit on you. And they will catch you. And they will whip you. And they will crucify you. And you will die one of the most excruciatingly painful deaths known to man. No, my son. It is not safe for you to go, but will you go anyway? Jesus didn't play it safe. He lived brave. The early disciples didn't play it safe. They lived brave too. They were imprisoned. They were whipped. They were persecuted. They suffered for their faith. And yet the amazing thing about the book of Acts is never ever do you hear them praying. Lord, remove the suffering, remove the persecution, never. Instead, their prayer is called for us in the book of Acts chapter 4 and verse 29, when they prayed to the Lord and said, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak with greater boldness. In other words, when they threaten us and persecute us and imprison us, give us greater boldness to proclaim you in spite of their persecution. And should they raise the suffering and the persecution, give us even greater boldness. They never prayed that God would remove the suffering. Paul didn't play it safe. He lived brave. For in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23 to 28, he talks about his own suffering. And he begins by saying, I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged again and again. I have been exposed to death over and over. Five times I have received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. He did not live safe. He lived brave. Where brave means obedience, no matter what the cost is. Where brave means taking a step of faith outside of my comfort zone. Where brave means trusting God for the unknown. 
where brave means not demanding from God that I first know what the outcome of this path he has put me on is going to be before I obey him. Where brave means that God doesn't have to explain himself before he acts in my life. He, when he commands me, I will obey. Where brave means that God doesn't have to ask my permission before he brings suffering and trial my way. You see, my dear friends, if God has to ask for your permission before he brings trials your way, then he is not God. You are because he has to ask your permission. I don't want a God who is so small and so weak that he has to plead with me, pretty please, can I, can I just touch your life just a little teeny weeny bit? I don't want a God like that. I want the God of Psalm 115 and verse 3, where the psalmist says, our God is in heaven and he does whatever pleases him. Brave means not the absence of fear, but the assurance of knowing that my God is in control and I'm okay even though I'm afraid. If your greatest desire in life is to live the safe life, you will never know the greater purposes of God. You know, one of my heroes of faith is a man that some of you who might be older here would recognize his name if you've heard the story. His name was George Mueller. He was born in 1835, 1805, sorry. And George was a scoundrel and, uh, you know, a rebel at heart as a young man. The story is told of how his mother passed away when he was 14 years old. He was not by her bedside as she drew in her last breath. He was out on the streets with his buddies, drunk, as his mother passed away. He was imprisoned for stealing. And his father was so frustrated with him that he went and bailed him out of jail, beat him up, and sent him to the rural areas to reform. But George would not change. Finally, his father decided to send him to university and have him prepare to study and become a minister of the gospel. I don't know what the guy was thinking. <laughs> but he reasoned, at least there he will have an income. And so he sent him off to university. And in his early days at the university, a friend of George's invited him to a Bible study. And to the surprise of the friend, George said yes. When he went that evening for the Bible study, he met the risen Lord, and his life was transformed. But one of the first observations that George made was his amazement to see those who profess Christ as Lord and Savior, who are so filled with anxiety because they don't really trust God to look after them. And so they worry over everything. And George decided that he would do something about this. In his own words, he wrote and he said, And so I, a poor man with no money, have decided by prayer and faith alone to start an orphanage to provide shelter for the little children who live on the streets of Bristol. This was pre-industrial England. 
when England was filled with smoke and smog and, and, and pollution, and there were hundreds of children on the streets of England who were orphans, dirty, smelly, they were called street urchins. They had no one to care for them. And they would, they would eat whatever they could get their hands on. They would run into markets and grab at food so that they could feed themselves. They slept under bridges. They would freeze to death in winter. No one really cared for them. And George decided, I will care for these children and clothe, feed, and house them without ever asking anyone for a single penny. God will have to show that he can provide care for them. And so in 1834, at the age of 28 years, George decided to start an organization for this work. In those days, they were called societies. And so he started the Scripture Knowledge Institute for Home and Abroad, a 28-year-old young man. And it had a five-fold mission. The first is that it wanted to to establish schools for children and for adults who could not read so that he could teach them to read and they would be able to read the Bible. The second was to distribute free Bibles for those who did not have a copy of the scriptures. The third was to support overseas missionaries. And Hudson Taylor, who went to China, was one of the missionaries that George Mueller supported. The fourth was to distribute Bible tracts for the work of evangelism. And the fifth was to establish orphanages to house, clothe, and scripturally educate destitute children who have lost both parents to death. 28-year-old man. At the age of 30 years in 1836, George Mueller took in 30 street girls off the streets of Bristol and brought them into his home to care for them there. 30. But his heart was bigger than 30, and he longed to do much more than that. And so he believed God to enable him to build five large orphanages that had a total capacity of 2,000 children at a go. And he built them up without ever asking anyone for a single shilling. He prayed it all in. Over the course of his life, he cared for 10,024 orphans. His example changed England. At the time that he began, there were more eight-year-old children in jail than there were beds to care for orphans. There were only 3,600 beds in England for orphans. But George's example so impacted many people that people opened up their homes and started taking in these children. And the government itself began to build up orphanages to get the children off the streets and to care for them, feed them, and educate them. By the time George's ministry came to an end at the close of his life, England had a bed capacity of 100,000 beds for these children. That's the impact he had on his nation. He prayed in the equivalent today of 100 million US dollars. He never ever asked anyone for any money at all. He established 
117 schools, and he educated a total of 120,000 children. By the end of his life, his little organization had distributed 300,000 complete Bibles, 1.5 million New Testament copies, and 250,000 gospel tracts in 20 different languages. When he turned 70, as though this was not enough, at the ripe old age of 70, George decided to hand over the work of the children's care to others who could continue with that, and he pursued a dream that he had always had and never had the opportunity to do. He decided that he would go out into the world as a missionary to preach the gospel to other lands. He visited a total of 42 nations over the next 17 years preached to an estimated three million people over those 17 years before he died at the age of 87. Hey guys, for those of you who are past 70, let me tell you a little secret. There is no retirement. <laughs> when these younger people tell you that you're old enough to put out to pasture, no. You know what, guys? You don't want to spend your life so-called retiring and resting. Why would you want to do that? When you get to heaven, you're going to rest for a thousand years, for 10,000 years. Why do you want to begin now? <laughs> and this self-indulgent life of riding boats and cruises to nowhere, don't do that. Playing golf, for those of you who love golf, let me tell you a secret. In heaven, you will be able to hit a hole in one every time. <laughs> so don't bother practicing down here. It's coming, it's coming. When you're done, the Lord will call you home. Before you go home, it's not yet over. You still have a work to do. And even if you get so old that you can hardly walk, you can hardly talk, you can still pray. And when you get up in the morning to pray, the devil needs to say, Done, she's up again. <laughs> Stories are told of how the children would gather in the dining hall and there was no food in the pantry. And George Mueller would come and tell the children, clasp your hands together, children, and let us give thanks to God. Not let us ask God, but let us think, give thanks to God for the food he is about to provide. And as they said amen, there would be a knock on the door, and the local butcher or the local baker would come and say, God woke me up at 3 a.m. this morning and told me to bake bread and bring it for breakfast, and the children would have their breakfast. Why is George Miller my hero? It is because this man lived brave and not safe. It is because this man dared to believe God for the impossible, and so God went ahead and did it anyway. I love the story of George Miller because I draw strength that I may live my life brave even as he did, because his faith was real and he wasn't playing it safe. All this in the life of one mortal man. And you may say, but I don't have money to do that sort of thing. Well, neither did George. He prayed it in. Brave means not playing it safe. We play it safe because we're afraid 
that we might suffer, that we might feel pain, that we might die. And yet, many times we gather together as God's children and we sing those songs. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. Well, let me tell you something, my dear friends, about a dead man. A dead man has no fear. And if you have been crucified with Christ, this should be our character. You can go to the morgue today and take your gun and put it to the head of a dead man. He doesn't flinch. <laughs> and you can beat him black and blue with a metal rod. He doesn't cry out because he is dead. You know what the problem might be? The problem might be that some of us did not really die. We only fainted. And so we're filled with fear because we did not really die to self. I believe that there are some of us here that God is calling to live a brave life, a daring life. That there are George Mueller sitting in this place even today that God would want to do amazing things through your lives. I believe that there are some here that God has given the financial capacity to change the world around them. If they would stop holding it up for their retirement or for the comfortable life. I believe that there are some of you here that God is saying, you've been living for yourself. Hear me today in very clear language. I died so that you may live for me. And maybe God is stirring your heart to live that, to leave that cushy job that you have and go out into a world in need of redemption. I want to believe that God is calling some here, even into full-time ministry or into missions, because God is in the business of raising up men and women to go around the world and proclaim the gospel. And yes, you don't have the security of a good salary as you go. And yes, you don't know how you're going to manage on the field, but God does. And it is enough. And he doesn't need to explain himself and his plan to the detail, because if he did, then why do you need faith? If he could tell you everything that will happen over the next 10 years, why do you need faith? But he's calling you to step out in faith and to trust him and to walk with him. I even believe that God is saying to some here, I want you to buy a one-way ticket into the dangerous places of the world. Because God is still in the business of calling men and women to lay down their lives for the sake of the gospel. And some of us may be martyrs if only we would say yes to the Lord. And he still calls men and women to martyrdom. So where are you today? Maybe it's never really struck you that I do not live for myself and you know you've been indulging in yourself, living for yourself. You're pursuing the good life. This is not why Christ died. When you said yes to Christ, this is what it was about, to live for him. And so I want us to pray and I want to call you out. 
if God has stirred your heart, if you can feel the conviction of the Spirit gripping your heart, his hand heavily on your shoulder, if he's tapping you now on the back and saying, it's you I'm talking to, I'm going to ask you to rise to your feet. Now, I'm not asking everybody to stand. I want to ask you if you genuinely sense that God has very clearly spoken into your life and that this needs to be an Ebenezer for you. Thus far, the Lord has brought me. This is the new zero ground. This is my watershed mark. It will change from here on. The game plan has just changed from today. Could I ask you to rise to your feet? Anyone who senses God is speaking into your heart. Just stand to your feet. And you may not know what this means. You may not know what the next step is, but that's okay because God does, and he will lead you. His word says you will hear a voice, a quiet voice saying, this is the way, go ye in it. He will guide you. Anyone else, before we pray, just stand to your feet. Just stand to your feet. Thank you for those many who have stood. Just rise up to your feet. We're going to pray in a moment here. Anyone else? Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you. Shall we pray together? Father, you can see these men and women who have said today the game plan changes. And maybe they don't know what that means, but that's okay because you do. You say that the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore that the Lord of the harvest would send out more laborers into the harvest field. Thank you for these who want to be counted. And whether it means that they stay where they are and become a witness there, that they stay in this city and become a witness engaged in this city, that they move from here to another place, or that they even leave this country and go elsewhere, Father, we don't know, but you do. And you promise to guide them. And for this we say thank you. Would you lead them as only you can? You can see their circumstances. Some who stand have children, have dependents, have commitments that they need to somehow nurture and, and, and guide and channel. But thank you that they are not alone. You will walk with them. You will show them the way. And so we bless them. And our prayer is that each one of these would in their own miraculous way become a George Mueller of this generation, that their lives would count for something that is greater than them and greater than comfort creatures and greater than, than their retirement and greater than living the cushy life and greater than having all the trinkets and the toys, that it would count for eternity. And I want to pray, Lord Jesus, for the many who are seated today and trust that they remain seated because they have already done business with you and already made this commitment and they therefore do not need to stand today. But Father, if that is not the case, 
Would you visit with them? Would you be with them this afternoon to remind them these words again? Would you be with them as they go to sleep? Visit them in their dreams, oh Lord, as they wake up. Remind them yet again and continue to speak into their hearts because this is what it means to know you as Lord and Savior and to die to self that we might live for you. And so, Father, do not let them off the hook, but continue to woo them and to convict them that they too may say, here am I, send me. Father, thank you for this church and its witness and engagement in missions around the world. For the men and women who have been raised up for the cause of Christ, who will serve for years to come, and many lives will be brought into the kingdom because of their faithful service. Thank you for this church that made that possible. Would you give them a bigger heart of generosity? Thank you for each person here who has been a part of that story. Would you bless them? And now as we come to the close of our service, Lord, guide us, we pray. We want our lives to count for more than just me and my creature comforts. Help us, Lord. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.